You've created and illustrated one of the top comic strips of all time, selling over 20 million books. And with your strip seen in over 2,000 newspapers, in 57 countries, and in 19 languages, what do you do next? Well, if your name is Scott Adams, creator of Dilbert, you go down the crypto rabbit hole and attempt to sabotage your career by agreeing to do an interview with us. <laughs> Today, you'll meet the man behind Dilbert as we speak with Scott about his successes, his career ladder, and the crypto project he's co-founded and is going all in on. Tell your boss, ain't nobody got time for that, because it's a Dilbert kind of day, and you're in for a treat, as we welcome Scott Adams to episode number 116 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm John McAfee, and I've been on with these uh, badasses on Bad Crypto for the past hour. I'm very happy to leave them, but I will tell you this, they are badasses. Thank you. I am so freaking excited right now, Mr. Travis Wright, because I, even as I was reading that teaser, I've got this huge grin on my face thinking, who thought that this is what we would get to do? I, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's one of those things where you're going, wow, you know what? Wow, we're, we're getting to chat with some pretty interesting people who've done some pretty epic things. And that's that's really, truly, though, Mr. Joel Com. This, uh, this is like my fourth podcast that I've done. I decided long ago that I want to spend a nice portion of the rest of my life talking to epic people who are doing epic things with their lives that are pretty inspiring and great people that are smarter than me in areas that I'm not smart in so I can learn, right? So that's how you get mentors is you you branch out and you talk to people who are smarter than you. And so that's why I like podcasting. You know, I started out doing one called Cultivate Greatness, which was a personal development one. So I talked with a lot of really great authors. I was the the host of the Technorati podcast where we talked to a lot of, you know, social media and, and internet folks. And same thing with VentureBeat, talking to a lot of brilliant internet marketing and technology people. And here we are talking to the brightest minds in blockchain. And oh, by the way, um, you know, Scott Adams, one of the, the most successful comic strip creators of all time, is now in crypto and then agrees to be on our show. Like, it's so yeah. so wild. He's he's super cool. I think he had a really great time on the show with us. And uh, we'll, I think we mentioned this in the interview, but we actually recorded it on video with him so we could, you know, see face to face. And uh, the video of this is going to be in the Bad Crypto Mastermind, which you must be a member of. It's free. It's on Facebook. Go to badco.in forward slash mastermind, and you'll be able to find the video version of, uh, of this podcast there if you would prefer to uh see us as we're speaking with scott yeah you can totally do that and uh so we'll get to that here shortly before we get to that we want to talk about our sponsor big shout out to zilla the ico app we had them on as a sponsor for a couple of months and then finally they got accepted into the apple app store i mean the app was ready apple just drug its feet for like months so with the zilla app you can actually search and find icos that are not only in the current ico stage ones that are 
upcoming pre-ICOs. You can also do research on ones that have already ICO'd and might be going on to exchanges now to see if that's going to be an interesting investment. You can determine about the team, the timeline, the token, the tech, the, the traction that they've received and uh, where their community is located. And uh, it's still an early build of the app, but it is available on iOS and uh, it's pretty handy. So just download that Z-I-L-L-A for that app. And I guess an Android version is coming soon. Yeah. And we, we're really glad you guys are here. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you haven't taken a moment yet to review us, then we'd really appreciate it if you did that as well. You know, most people, they listen to shows and, and even if they like what you're doing, everybody's busy and a lot of people don't take time and it would be a big Thank you to us, and uh, it would mean a lot to our hearts. We would treasure you and carry you there with our cryptos. Always, if you went to iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Google Play or Facebook or wherever you listen and and give us a review there. Because the algorithms really like reviews, wink, wink. And that's really a key ranking factor, wink, wink. Especially if you can do it on iTunes, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge, say no more. And with that... Let's get to our feature interview with Mr. Scott Adams. Well, what an exciting day it is in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, because we have with us a cultural icon, a, a veritable uh, legend in the realm of, well, I don't want to say cartooning, because so, his comic strip is so much more than cartooning, and he broke so much ground by bringing business to the the comic sector he is the one the only scott adams he is the creator of the dilbert comic strip and now you know because he looks a little bit like him <laughs> he's a little dilbertish and his, your your bio is a mile long and and so we know you best selling you you've had more calendars and print with you know dilbert in it than i think anybody has made maybe even peanuts and um and now you are both a serial podcaster, and you are the co-founder of a crypto startup. And we are really glad that you're here to be bad with us. Welcome to Bad Crypto. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I, I should add to the introduction that I do have a degree in economics and an MBA from Berkeley. So doing startups and crypto stuff is actually more what I'm prepared to do. Cartooning was just a, a weird coincidence of nature and timing and you know, that, that's the thing I'm least equipped to do. This is actually what I'm most equipped to do. So Interesting. Great. Well, what, t let's set the Wayback Machine just so we can have a, a little background. When did you start Dilbert? Why did you start Dilbert? And, and what was your deal that connected that you were like, oh my gosh, I'm syndicated? Yeah. So Dilbert's almost 30 years old now in terms of how long it's been in newspapers and, and on the internet for about half that. And I was working at two big corporations, one after the other, first at a big bank and then at the phone company. And I had a variety of jobs in both of those companies. And both of those careers uh, ended for the same reason, which I couldn't say publicly for about 20 years because society wasn't quite where it needed to be. We're, we're finally at a point, and I think, you know, society's growing up a little bit where you can say things that you just couldn't say out loud 20 years ago. And, he, and here's what it was. I lost both careers because my boss in each case called me into the office and said, the company has made a decision that we're not going to promote white males for a while. 
And the reason, of course, was that historically uh, the management of both of those companies was 100% white men. Not 100%, but it was very close to 100%. Mm. And the media had caught up to them. And they found out, it's like, hey, what are you doing, big companies? Why are you not more like your community? Now, the reason it was hard to say this before is that if you, if you even talked about it, it made it look like you were against diversity. <laughs> now, I'm just telling my story. I'm pro-diversity, and I think that the companies had a legitimate um, mission to become more diverse. I just happened to be caught at exactly the wrong timing where they could call me in. And it was, I don't, I'm not even sure you could say this legally in 2018. But in those days, they could call me into the office and say, look, we're getting pressure. I, I, I'm going to tell you honestly to your face, we can't promote a white guy. And I don't know when that's going to change. So when, it, when they told me that at the bank, I immediately, uh, you know, I immediately left. And this was and went to another company. 80s? This was like uh, mid-80s? Yeah, mid-80s. Mm. So I immediately left the bank because they told me my career had no, no future. And I went to the phone company and got on the fast track to be a you know, management person and had all the, you know, the boxes checked to move up the, the ranks. And one day my boss called me in and said, look, we got caught. No diversity in senior management and we've got to fix that. Don't know how long it'll take don't expect to ever be promoted for the foreseeable future. Hmm. So uh, that's when I started working on side projects. So rather than quit the phone company, I started doing uh, some stuff on the side. I, I had tried a number of little startup-y kinds of things that didn't get very far. But when I started Dilbert, that one, I was lucky enough, that one took off. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's, and that's such, a, it's such a, a fun thing. So if you are in an office environment, you can relate to that stuff so very well. I mean, and I, you know, so you started, started that in like in 1989, how long until you ended up leaving your job? How, how long of a buffer did you have? Because I mean, it seemed to me that you would have such great, if you're in, in a job, yeah. in a cubicle, that is a, such a great place to come up with content for your comic, for your comic. Yeah. So I was working two, and when I started writing a book, three jobs at the same time. So I kept my day job at the phone company. I was doing Dilbert mornings and weekends and nights. And then I got a book deal. So I was writing that at the same time. Now, your first thought of that is like, oh my God, that's you know three times more than anybody wants to do. But to your point, the material for Dilbert and for the book was writing itself during my day job. So I was just writing down what happened practically and then putting my little spin on it. So they were, they were activities that worked really well together. And I kept my day job for six and a half years, I think, mm. uh, partly because the day job became so easy. And, and one of the things that happens when you don't need your job, there, there's this wonderful psychological change that comes over you. The moment you realize that you can be fired, and it doesn't make any difference to your life because I had another income that was coming online then, it changes how you see everything. So all the things that were just, would stress you to your core and you would go home at night and you'd be, you know, screaming at the skies like, why does my coworker say such things? And <laughs> why can't they sign things? And why is everybody so inefficient? Instead, I'd, co I'd come home that, you know, and I'd draw my Dilbert cartoon and I'd be like, 
man, I hope tomorrow's as bad as today because this is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've got to say, with your with the uh, for people listening, you can't see this, but if you go to the Bad Crypto Mastermind at badco.in forward slash mastermind, you'll see the video of this. And with the white headphones on, I'm thinking you look more like Dogbert. Is that anything? You're right. Is that the truth? Are you actually, is Dogbert more you and what you're thinking than Uh, any character? So all of the Dilbert characters are either an extension or a compartment of my own personality, or they're somebody I know well enough that I can just sort of, uh, you know, take their qualities and put them in the character. So uh, the Alice character is based on a real coworker. The Wally character, a real coworker. Did, did she really but Dilbert and Dilbert, like that was it, you know. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, it's a little exaggerated, but for for a period, it was somewhat triangular. <laughs> yes, this is a, a weird aside, but she was a single woman whose name was Anita Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Now, fantastic. That fantastic. That's a true story. Now, she pronounced it Anita Freeman, yeah. mm-hmm. but it was Anita Freeman. Yeah. You know, that was her name. Um, anyway, so the, but my personality is in Dilbert and Dogbert. So those two, if you add them together, you'd get me. Dilbert's my uh, socially awkward, nerdy side who likes facts and, you know, engineering and reason, even though I don't have an engineering background but my mind is sort of drawn to that way of thinking. And Dogbird is the, uh, the evil voice that you have running at the same time as your good voice. You know, the good voice is like, I think I'll be polite here. Let's play fair. Everybody be good. And, and the Dogbird voice is, you know, if you just did this, you could really get away with something. And I try to, you know, I try not to act on that voice, but putting it in the comic is perfect because, you know, there are no rules in the comic. That's great. You should maybe have a, you know, turn that into a crypto Dogebert. <laughs> Doge well, there, there is a Bert coin, uh, right? Because you, you actually started uh, talking about crypto. Uh, the earliest one I found was July of 2013, uh, where, where Bird invented Bert coin. Were you talking about it earlier than that? Probably not. That feels like the first time. Yeah. And that, like the yeah. first time. <laughs> so would, would Dogbert be the most likely to then invest in Bitcoin? Oh, you know, yeah, Dogbert, uh, I think Dogbert would have his own ICO because that's where the big money is. Uh, so, yeah, but he, uh, unlike our ICO, which is actually an ITO, uh, I think Dogbert's would not be grounded on a real business. So that that might be the difference. Mm, I sense a future uh, a future uh, you know narrative on one of your comics potentially. Which, <laughs> I actually have a question around that. Before we get uh-huh. too deep into the blockchain stuff, there's a couple other things I want to chat about. A content question, right? So Joel and I, you know, we're in marketing. We talk we we talk to a lot of people about content. We're podcast is us putting out content. How do you find these fresh topics? You know, moving forward now, you're not in a uh, you're not in the cubicle environment anymore. How do you find fresh topics to write about your cartoon? Well, the the world of business is somewhat universal, whether you're you know sitting in a cubicle or walking around anywhere else. So, uh, as you know, I have a, co-founded a, a business, Wenhub. We'll talk about that more. And the Dilbert Enterprise is a big business. There's a licensing business. There's an internet part. I'm designing websites. I'm I'm having meetings. Yesterday, I had a you know staff meeting. So my actual life as a cartoonist is more like a business person. 
because of the, the scale of Dilbert is big enough that there are contracts and lawyers and taxes and meetings and people all day long. So 80% of it just comes from my own life. About 20% of it maybe is memory at this point. But I also, every now and then, I'll ask my Twitter followers to just respond to one tweet with, in the comment section of what they want me to mock. So I get a week's worth of material just from, from one tweet. Mm. Huh. Well, everybody's got their crypto rabbit hole story. You know, uh, Travis and I have both told ours here multiple times. But what was your <laughs> rabbit hole story where you started paying attention and were like, what is this Bitcoin thing? How did you get sucked in? <laughs> uh, do you know the name of Eric Finman? No, not familiar. Who's Eric? Uh, he's, he's sometimes called the boy millionaire crypto. So he, he made millions in crypto by the age of 18. I think the story goes as a challenge from his parents. So he had two genius parents. He's a genius. All the kids are geniuses. And he didn't want to go to college. And his parents said, hey, if you can make a million dollars before you're 18, you don't have to go to college. You can challenge out. So he started reading up on Bitcoin. Mm. And let's just say he didn't need to go to college because his, his timing was ideal. What year so, was that? Oh, this is, he's probably only 19 or 20, so it's only a few years ago, but he, you know, his challenge was before he was 18, so he, he's maybe four years ago, something like that. That's just a guess. But his was one of the stories that, you know, you hear of the people who are getting rich in crypto, and you really can't hear too many stories like that until you start saying, maybe I should pay more attention to this area. Uh-huh. Um, and I think when it was only Bitcoin, or at least that was the one that you know the common public was hearing about, it was a little bit easier to ignore. But once it becomes, hey, do you know blockchain's a big deal and it can do these things and it's going to change the world in all these ways, well, then that's something that I, I would have to pay attention to as a cartoonist, no matter what, because that's just what's happening. And secondly, um, we already had a startup that had already produced a couple of products that are, that are available now. Uh, and my CTO said, hey, we're perfectly situated, the team we have, to make this product, which we have an idea. We'll talk about that in a minute, called Interface. And it was a, a little bit a perfect expression of what I write about in my book, uh, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, where I talk about the advantage of a system versus a goal. A goal is, I want to get rich, let's say, in this one specific way. I'm going to become the best ballerina in the world. Now, not many people can be the best ballerina in the world, so goals are somewhat problematic. A system is where you do something every day that puts you in a position to go in any direction that makes sense at any moment. In other words, it gives you lots of options. And we had built our startup around that concept, which is we knew we would do some specific things but the bigger play was that we would create a, a, a working group that could go quickly in any direction. And when this crypto idea came up and the ICOs became a big thing, my CTO said, we're already formed. We can build this thing in a month uh, and, and we can be hitting one of the hottest trends in the world right now because we were already ready. So the already ready part is intentional. We just didn't know which way it was going to go. And this was the biggest opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I would say that's kind of how Joel and I created this podcast because him and I were having some political banter back and forth over the election time. And then 
crypto started, you know, surfacing more and more. So we started having more and more crypto conversations and we ended up getting to the point where we were having four or five crypto conversations via phone every single week. And we were like, I made a comment to him. I'm like, well, wow. Well, how long until we do the Joel and Travis crypto show? And <laughs> he's like, and then he sent me a, a Facebook message back. He's like, call me. I got an idea. And literally within 48 hours, we came up with the brand. We launched the website. We did all the branding on the website. Uh, we set up the podcast. We created the the uh, the, uh, the the intro music, which is still the intro music today. And within 48 hours, our first podcast was live. Within another 24 hours, we'd had our first 2,000 listeners. So just- all right. I, yeah, I, I know you came here to talk to me and, and interview me, but I have to ask you these questions. So one of, the, one of the things I write about is developing a talent stack, which is a set of talents that um, you might not be the best in the world at any one of them, but they work really well together. Mm-hmm. With, just, with just my minimum exposure to the two of you, it's obvious that the, individually you have broad talent stacks, but that they, the two of them work together to make something even bigger. Now, do one of you have, for example, a music background? Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't actually write the music. We just, you know, I found um, you know an MP3 that uh, I licensed for us to use for the show. But we both have marketing backgrounds. Uh, like you, I started my first website back in 1995, and you know, I've I've written 15 books, probably not as many as you. Um, Travis is uh, one of the leading marketing technologists, and we're both you know known in the social sphere and internet marketing sphere. Uh, I mean, we're both you know speakers as well. So right, so you understand the. Tech- technology world, but you're also marketing people, but you also, uh, both of you speak well in public and you're, you're very articulate. Some, one of you was smart enough to, or both of you to figure out which equipment works best, how to pull all this together. There's an organizational part of that. That is a really impressive set of talents to get you to this conversation. I mean, that took a lot, but if you look, if you were looking at any one of those talents, I think you'd probably agree. It's like, okay, I'm not the best in the world but that one thing, but you put them together. They're really powerful. Mm-hmm. So Travis, I, I think Travis under the, like your, your lower, th- the your green screen has the five star rating. I think you should replace that and just say in quotes, impressive Scott Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. So that, 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 that is funny. Well, one thing I like, how many books have you written by the way, Scott? Well, there are about nine that are original books that meaning that they're not reprints of the comic. And then if you count the reprints of the comic, maybe 45, something like that. So what I would like to say is, so Joel's written 15 books. I've written one. You've written 45. So together we've written like 60 some odd books collectively. So that's, <laughs> we're very, that's we're a- very we're very impressive here. His have better <laughs> pictures, so, so that's the thing. So since we were both still forming websites around the same time in 1995 is when Dilbert.com launched, right? Let's compare. You know, people like to say blockchain right now is internet. 19 what? What year do you think it is in internet years? Wow. Um, I love that question. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to give you an answer, but I would say we're closer to the, the start than, than what it could become. But I think that would be fair to say of almost anything in the technology realm, right? Mm-hmm. It, isn't everything an infinite progression? I, I, I don't know. You're, you're, I guess if everything is an infinite progression, you're always closer to the start than the finish. But let, let's put it this way. If you, were, if you were to answer the question this way, in 19, let's say the early 90s, if you said to somebody, what's the internet, 
not everyone would even be able to answer the question. Most wouldn't. Right, most wouldn't. If you ask today, can you explain a little bit about the blockchain? 1% of the public at most, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's like 1% of the business public, you know, people are even around it. When that number gets to closer to 50%, where everybody can say, oh yeah, it's sort of a ledger, you know, in the cloud, you know, at least if they can understand on that level, then you're closer to the middle. So we're definitely closer to the start because it's already big and people can't explain it yet. You know, the, the, the common consumer can't explain it. It's just like the 80s, probably. I love the 80s. Yeah, this is all about the 80s here. I want to, because I, I actually, you know, I'm a fan of how to fail at everything and still win big. Um, and then you wrote another book, Win Bigly. So is there going to be uh, how to fail at everything and still win bigly? Uh, that maybe just. Well, I, yeah, I've got that big in there every, everywhere. Yeah, the big, he's, he's <laughs> the, good. The that's, winning. That's funny. Now, I want to talk about the systems oriented versus the goal oriented just a little bit more. Like, what is the process to that systems oriented thing? Because I, cause you talk about that quite a little bit. And I think, you know, even though this is a podcast around crypto and blockchain, that's a valuable life skill that I think our folks could really benefit from. Yeah, let me, uh, let me uh, back into that by making a comment uh, that dovetails with your previous question. Uh, by weird coincidence, when I was working in the phone company, my job was to work in the small lab with just a handful of people and we were the first ones in the company to see this thing called the internet. Imagine this. I was seeing it before anybody had heard the word. We called it the World Wide Web back then. And all this thing could do, it was so new, is it could connect to, I think, three websites in the world because they were the only public websites in the world. Mm. Right? And I would bring people in. Uh, we, that was our job, to bring customers in and show them all of our products and then they decide whether they liked them. And at the end of our presentation of useful things that they really did need, like new phone systems, et cetera, we'd show them this World Wide Web thing that had no value at the time. At the time, it was worthless. You could see three websites, and that's it. Mm. And, and people with their eyes would glide, glaze over when we showed them all our products. They're like, yeah, yeah, telephones, telephones. And we'd say, well, let, let me show you this thing at the end. And we'd fire up the World Wide Web. And to a person, they all had the same response. And I got to see it before anybody even knew what the, the internet was. They would stand up, right? They would, they would get out of their chair, and they would walk over, and they'd say, can I do that? And meaning they, you know, they wanted to touch the keyboard and the mouse. Because the feeling they got from knowing that the thing they were doing on their computer was pinging a, uh, another computer somewhere else in the world and bringing them back a picture of, I think it was just the Smithsonian, pictures of rocks and stuff, just totally worthless stuff. But to them, it was so captivating in its completely useless form that that day, you know, one of those days I asked my uh, lead engineer, I said, hey, if I wanted to invest in this worldwide web thing before it was called the internet, what company would I invest in? And he looks at me and he goes, Cisco. And I go, really? Like any other companies? He goes, Cisco. I'd never heard the name of the company before. It was that early. He goes, they're going to make the routers. Internet's going to be everywhere. They have a dominant position. Put all your money in Cisco. And I was like, I should really do that. I should put all my money in Cisco. And then I didn't. (laughs) So so that's the second to do that. And then I forgot to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So, So that was the second part of it. So anyway, getting from that. Well, this is part of where I uh, developed a concept that is in the book you mentioned, 
where you can identify something that's going to be big by whether it works in its bad form. The internet in its completely worthless bad form excited people right down to the, the a tingle. People would tingle when they saw it. Now, likewise, if you imagine the early s smartphones, all right, you wanted that first iPhone, even though it was worthless. It was worse than the phone before it because it was just slow and buggy. I couldn't even make a phone call on my first AT&T iPhone. I almost gave up on phone calls as a concept, but I still <laughs> wanted it. Right? So, so when you look at the blockchain, the question you want to ask yourself is, as buggy as it is, as slow as the blockchain is for things it does, as complicated as it is, as unsecure as it could be under some situations, people steal your passwords or whatever. With all those problems, it's crazy how much people love it, right? So if you were going to say to me, you know, predict is blockchain really going to be big or not, I would say all the evidence, all the evidence points to it. It touches people in some way that excites us, like the internet did, like smartphones did. Almost nothing could stop it at this point from, from getting to be a bigger thing. Now, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just keep rambling. You, sure. uh, I'm going to go only... invest in Cisco real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I finally, I finally did invest in it years, years later when it, when it just capped out and never, never went up again. Uh, so all I know so, is that his kid was a friend of mine. Whose kid? Cisco kid. Oh, the Cisco kid was a friend of mine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be a certain age to understand that reference. Yes, but yes. There are there are song references on this show, and and sometimes <laughs> Travis and I are known to break out into musical tune, especially when we're talking about magical internet. Money! <laughs> Ramble on, Scott. Ramble on. <laughs> I knew you were musical. I yes. now you've now you've proven it. So your question was about systems versus goals, and and how do you develop a system? Was that the question? That was yeah, his question. Yeah, it was the goal oriented versus the systems oriented. Is that whole process for people to to think about as a life skill? Yeah. So a system, the way I define it, is something that you're doing on a regular basis, usually every day, that you don't have a specific outcome in mind. It just puts you in a better position for lots of different outcomes. So building your skill stack, as we talked about, is probably the most important thing you can do just to be ready for all kinds of situations. Another thing would be networking. A lot of people make their money essentially by being good networkers and they don't know where it will lead or who will someday offer them a job or who will be that connection that made them the big deal, who was the, the first customer for their startup. They don't know where that's heading, but once they've built a big enough network, they can go in a lot of different directions. So rather than picking a goal that might take you years to accomplish and in that time it took to accomplish it, everything in the world changed. So it might not even be a good goal anymore. And if it is a good goal, there still might be 10 goals that are better than that one. Don't you wish you had done those instead? So um, micro-focusing on a goal can close you out to other opportunities that are emerging you know, while, you're, while you're working. For example, the reason I'm on this podcast is because my startup is doing something that involves the blockchain. We did not plan that at all when we started the company, but we built a company that could move flexibly in a number of directions. And when this came up, we were like, hey, we're all ready for this. So, uh, but you can take the system concept to exercise, to eating, uh, to anything else. So uh, just give you an example. 
in the concept in the the diet realm, what I recommend is that people um, experiment on a regular basis and never stop experimenting with uh, making healthy foods taste better. So, for example, I learned one day that if I put soy sauce and pepper on a, a raw avocado, just sort of slice it up and eat it with just soy sauce and pepper, it's really delicious. And now it's competitive with maybe a, you know a candy or a piece of cake. It's that good. Mm. But it took a long time to experiment that that particular food with that particular preparation was insanely good. So likewise, I've experimented and, and learned as I went until I have a palate of food that is delicious to me um, and that makes it easy to resist bad food because I'm still eating great food. Mm-hmm. Now, you're the gonna, big problem. You have a, uh, a recipe book coming out soon? <laughs> or a recipe cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, more of a recipe system because the, the key thought here is that the solution that you, got, that you came up with or anybody else came up with would be different. So the food that excites you and is also healthy might be different than what excites me. A lot of people become vegetarians and say, my goal is to not eat animals, right? And then, but they've never learned what they should eat. So they eat a lot of bread and they get fat and they're like, well, this didn't work out. I guess I'll go eat some animals. Whereas if you have a system, my system allowed me to go from being a vegetarian to introducing some fish into my diet, primarily for health reasons. It's just a good protein. And I wasn't limited by anything except knowledge. So the smarter I got, the better my diet got. Uh, this is really interesting. I, uh, before we started the recording, I mentioned that 10 years ago, we, uh, we met at a uh, book expo in New York City. And I just found on my phone this <laughs> of you um, 10 years ago autographing because uh, you had a, a 20 year anthology coming out of Dilbert and you, you illustrated a dog bird for me and, and signed, uh, signed your name. So thank you for that. I shall treasure it always. Let's uh, let's do a lightning round really quick. This is kind of like free association. I've got 10 things I'm going to say and just fire back whatever comes to mind. And Travis, the last one is really a setup for a question. I know that you've been mm-hmm. dying to ask. So are, are these short answers or one word short, answers? Short is, you know, just a sentence at most. Okay. okay. So here we go. You ready? Right. Comfort food of choice. Potatoes. John McAfee. Fascinating and a little bit dangerous. Apart from <laughs> yours, your favorite comic strip. Uh, Pearls Before Swine. Mm. Bitcoin Cash. Um, I'm staying away from it just because there's a lot of, uh, it's, you know, the environment is a little unclear. Your Desert Island album. As in a musical album? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your favorite Ooh. album, best album. I don't enjoy music. Really? Well, we won't sing for you. Uh, the SEC, do you enjoy them? <laughs> uh, the SEC, well, as long as they're not bothering me, I enjoy them. <laughs> they're great uh, for bothering other people. Yeah, they are. Uh, Bob the Dinosaur. Bob the Dinosaur, one of my characters, um, he's, he's sort of been minimized lately because people don't understand why the dinosaur would be in the office. So we may not see more of him. Which begs a question, why would the dinosaur be in the office? Well, it came from an early Dilbert strip in which Dilbert realized that it would be impossible for all the dinosaurs to be extinct. He had done some math to figure that out. And so the only conclusion must be that they're hiding. 
and that they had shrunk. And so that's when it was revealed that Bob the dinosaur had been in their house for years. He just hides behind the couch. And then once uh, he's gone back into hiding. Okay. Just a few more Dogecoin. Don't know anything about it. I would think that if Dil- if uh, Dogbert was going to, you know, invest in. Oh, uh, the Doge. Uh, <laughs> uh, the future. The future. I've been saying for now several months that we're on the edge of a golden age. Mm. Golden age being defined as where all the big stuff is trending in the right direction. But more importantly, where we realize our biggest problems are psychological and not physical. Mm. Meaning that war with North Korea is really about how we think about each other. You know, if they're worried we're going to attack, they act one way, etc. So the psychology is getting fixed, which means North Korea might get fixed. Likewise, all of our biggest problems are knowledge and psychology, and that's the best place you want to be because we can fix that stuff. Well, it leads me to the last one, which opens a can of worms um, and, and understand people that <clears throat> we don't intend to get political here, but Scott is definitely a, a very vocal in his, his hobby now of podcasting. So the last one in the lightning round is President Trump. President Trump, um, he's on the verge of being one of the top three or maybe top five effective presidents of all time. At the same time, he's on the verge of impeachment. So he might be our first president who in one year wins a Nobel Peace Prize for North Korea. At the same time, he's impeached. Those are both possible, Mm -hmm. uh, which is fascinating. I believe that our economy is largely um, as strong as it is, coming off of a very solid base from Obama. I give Obama complete credit for a solid base and recovering from a a big hole in the economy. But Trump did add the psychology. He added the optimism. He added the, you know, just the the feeling that things were going to go well. And he did it with things like cutting regulations, which feels like a bigger thing than it probably is. He did it with you know, talking about trade, which feels like a bigger thing than maybe the actual trade deals themselves are. And he did it by clawing back jobs and, you know, and uh, embarrassing big companies for, for thinking that they would do something that doesn't put America first. So all of these things collectively have changed the psychology of the economy to the fact where we might be in a really good sustained growth period. So if you get your national defense and your economy right, that fixes a lot of other problems. Hmm. Now, I want to I go in on that a little bit because my question about that was you had mentioned that you think that, that Trump will be a very consequential president. And you have studied, you know, you're, hypno, you're a hypnotherapist. You've studied hypnotherapy. You like psychology and you studied persuasion. And you had said that leading up to him because when, when most people were saying, oh, my God, look at him. He's batshit crazy. You were saying, well, look, he's doing some really interesting persuasive tactics here that a lot of people aren't aren't noticing per, you know per se and so if you maybe want to talk about how you know he was using persuasion and how because i think that's a very valuable skill that a lot of people maybe don't have or they don't notice that he had yeah so first of all i i'm a trained hypnotist as opposed to a hypnotherapist the okay. therapist would be right. doing it professionally you will um, read my comic it will be syndicated <laughs> i will make billions <laughs> and then on top of that training i've been studying persuasion in all of its different forms from design to writing to communicating to you know designing your powerpoint whatever 
for 30 years. It's part of what I do as a writer and as a creator. I have to understand how people's minds work and how to influence them. So when I saw uh, candidate Trump come on the scene, I recognized in him fairly quickly a set of persuasion tools that were unprecedented, something we'd never seen before. Typically, politicians are just not good at persuasion. They, they do their politician thing, and they act like they think a politician has to act. Uh, candidate Trump didn't have those restrictions. He was going to act in whatever way he thought would work, and we saw the, the outcome of that. But just to give you an example of the things that I could see earlier that other people saw, um, Trump uses visual imagery better than you've ever seen. So, and he simplifies to the point of inaccuracy in order to do that sometimes. Now, a normal politician is going to want to stay accurate because that, you know, you'll be criticized if you're not accurate. President Trump, and, and before that candidate, Trump understood how the mind works and that we don't really care about the details if you make us feel right about the big stuff. So instead of saying stuff like, well, we need a stronger border security. We'll do this in a variety of ways. Some of it will be fences. Some might be better walls. Some might be better, you know, more, more uh, bodies on the border, et cetera. That would have been this confusing, conceptual idea that we might have liked a little bit, but it wouldn't have moved us. So he didn't say that. He said, it's a wall. It's a physical wall. It's got a door because the door tells part of the story that it's not a closed wall. And it's the whole way. Now, he probably never meant that, that it would be a physical wall the entire border. He probably never meant that. But a good persuader knows that doesn't really matter because what he does mean is he wants the border to be far more secure. And putting that in our minds, visual imagery is far more persuasive than concepts because we're visual animals. And that's the thing we can't get out of our head. Mm. He also allowed us to imagine the wall in whatever way made most sense to our own minds. So I imagined a friendly looking wall. People who were anti-immigrants were, you know, imagined a harsh wall. It's going so, to be big. It's going to be beautiful. It's right. Super yeah. high. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but other, other than, you know, how tall it is, he, he sort of, and that it has a door, he, he left open so we would imagine whatever wall we wanted. That too is pure hypnosis technique, right? And it's unusual. You don't see people describing something that is so specific in such general terms. They would normally describe it as accurately as they could. He knows, because he has the same skill set, that that's not the right play. The right play is to keep it simple, keep it visual, with all of the problems that come with it, and let the problems also be, become part of the energy. Because if everybody's arguing hey, you can't build that wall, or that's too expensive, or we'll never do that. Everybody's talking about your topic. So he's made a topic that, personally, I didn't even know it was a big deal. Before Trump came on the scene, if you'd said, list your top 10 big problems in the world, I'm pretty sure immigration would not have been on the list. But now if you say, make a list of your top problems, at least most Republicans would probably put it in the top five. So, and, and Trump did that by being inaccurate and just saying it's a wall. Now, the downside is as people will say, you crazy idiot, don't you understand the complexities of this situation? You must be you know, mentally incapable. You, know, you could never be a president with such simple thinking. And these are the trade-offs that he intentionally accepts. Uh, you saw 
uh, maybe you didn't see James Comey recently was asked about the President Trump's fitness, and he had to say, okay, he's above average intelligence, and he does track conversations and meetings, and he's you know involved, and you know he's he's on the ball. So he allowed the country to think he was mentally incompetent because it worked. Mm. It, it, it gets him closer to the wall. Uh, and those are the types of trade-offs that make what I call a master persuader, somebody who's not just willing to use the techniques of persuasion, but is willing to do them knowing that there will be massive pushback, massive pushback. I love your open-minded perspective to this. And it's my hope that, that our citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia would also, you know, when we're, it's so easy for people to be at each other's throats in this political age. And if we would just listen more and seek to understand, I think that there would be a lot less of that. And if you want to hear more about what Scott has to say, his, uh, his Twitter and his Periscope are Scott Adams says, and it looks like you've done a hundred broadcast there now scott and have almost sixty thousand followers uh, and you pretty much go live once or twice a day so i think that's that's great and uh, but let, let's get to talking about the cryptos now in particular the um the startup that you are a co-founder of it's when hub w-h-e-n when hub.com and uh, tell us a little bit about this so we've got a couple of products already out there. One, one of them uh, allows you to see friends approaching a meeting place. That one is called Approach, and that's in the, uh, in the app stores already. And a business can use one of those and uh, just do an in-app purchase and put their logo on it. So if you're the local furnace repair guy who came to my house yesterday, you can show your customer how far away you are, and then it times down after he gets there. So that one's up and running, and that was the team we built was working on that when this crypto opportunity presented itself. And since then, we've built, and this is brand new, an app called Interface. So it's, uh, if you're looking for it in the App Store, it's uh, uh, WenHub and Interface are the key terms. And what that does is it, uh, so page one, there's just two choices, be an expert or find an expert. If you want to be an expert, you just connect to your LinkedIn profile and set a price and say, uh, I'm $100 an hour, and here's the keywords that, you, that I'll be an expert on. And if you're searching for an expert, you just search by keywords and decide if you want to connect. Now, the, the blockchain crypto part of this is that all of the billing, invoices, contract stuff happens on a smart app on the blockchain. So we, we can do away with banking relationships, which is very important because that frees you for a lot of reasons. We can do instant international commerce without worrying about currency problems. We can use the, the, the crypto portion of it because you can buy the tokens to work within the app, but you can also buy them just to hold them if you think they'll go up in value. I, I won't call this an investment because... Crypto is not an investment in any typical sense. But we thought, oh, we could get a lot of energy and attention through the crypto part of it by having our own token that people will want to own. But in addition, we built an actual working app that is sort of what I call the long tail for consultants or experts. So in, this, in the normal expert world, you spend a lot of time and you got to do a contract, you got to find the right expert. And the expert isn't going to want to do the job unless they can commit to a bigger contract. 
because the expert doesn't want to find new work every, every hour and a half. So we've solved that problem. So sometimes people need 15 minutes of an expert telling them how to start a podcast. What would you do if you have a special needs child? Uh, can I get a tutor to help my kid with the algebra just right now, just for an hour? So there are a million things that people need information from a real human that they can't get from Googling. There's no amount of Googling that really help for a lot of questions. Uh, and that's, that's the market we're going into. And crypto, the, the blockchain in particular, helped us get into that, solve a whole bunch of back-end issues because of the simplification, but also gave it a little kicker that people could get excited about the, the tokens, the WEN tokens, and, and that would bring us a little extra attention too. Nice. So this is basically the WEN hub is this sort of central for all these different spokes that you're building. You have the approach spoke, the interface spoke, and some other things that are related around time and technology. Yes. Yeah, so, so our basic platform uh, has a very robust API that you can build a lot of different apps off of. So the interface app right now, it's, it's current form. You're finding an expert that's available at the moment. The very next version that we release will allow you to schedule it. And the scheduling is already programmed, essentially, because we're going to use our own a API to handle the scheduling part. So we can now very rapidly create apps around this scheduling platform, and the interface app is just one of them. Nice. That's one thing that I found that is that if you could solve that around time and, and, and technology is like, so we were able to use like a Calendly to sort of schedule ourselves, but like, you know what? Not everybody has that. It's like how handy is like, Oh, I need to connect with this guy, this girl and this dude. And all four of us need to have a meeting and we need to be able to coordinate that in an easy way where you don't have seven emails back and forth to try to coordinate that. That's yeah, a Calendly, by the way, is a great tool. I used, you know, like you said, I used that to schedule with you guys for this. And oh my goodness, that really made everything easy. Mm -hmm. You know, several years ago, Google uh, attempted something, as Google often does, uh, and most of what they attempt really doesn't go anywhere, but they did something called helpouts. Are you familiar with that? Help out now. Help outs, it probably was around for about nine to 12 months before they canned the project. But the Is it around there, Google Wave time? Uh, it was after Wave, mm. um, but the, it, they had the Hangout technology and they said, what if we create the service where you could connect with experts on video, um, you know, similar to what you're doing here, but it, you know, you would either be free or you would pay for their time and you can monetize it. And I thought it was a great idea. In fact, I created a training around it and then they said, you can't do that. Like, I'm helping you. Uh, and a few months later, they ended up shutting the thing down. But we also, we spoke uh, on one of our ICO spotlights several months ago, um, somebody who's doing something similar. So I wanted you, want you to compare. Are you familiar with Expertee? Uh, oh, yeah, recently I've, I've heard about that. They're, they have not built their product yet, I understand. So you have a, a working product. Your app is out there. Your technology is, as Travis likes to say, baked. Um, and, and so this is a way for people to monetize their talents and their knowledge within a blockchain uh, platform. Yeah. And for those people who want to hold tokens or hold coins, uh, the when token has the value of that some of the risk has been taken out of the, out of the decision. Normally, when you're looking at an ICO, you're looking at a white paper and it's people who may or may not ever be able to build a, build a product. We already built the product. You can use it right now. 
And so some of that risk has been uh, taken out of the, out of the decision. Very cool. So what is the, uh, the roadmap then, I guess, for the full rollout of, of the platform? I mean, here we are, you got most of it built out now and you're, you're working on that. So what, what does the next few months look like for WinHub? Well, given the, the size of our operation and the importance we're putting on the interface product, pretty much all attention is on making sure that that's optimized. So we're rolling out the, you know, the, the scheduling feature, for example. Uh, the very next version, just in a few days, if you miss an expert, you, you can uh, choose to be alerted when the expert goes back online. So if they're not there, you can get them 10 minutes later when they go back on. Uh, so minor updates like that. And then um, we're doing a lot more marketing around the WEN token because a lot, of, a lot of folks have shown interest in owning them. Because as I said, if you're looking at the whole ICO world, there aren't that many who have a solid team that's worked together a few, few years, have already created products that are in stores, and, have, and this is the key part, already created a product that you can, you can kick the tires and see if it's good yourself. Uh, normally, you're just guessing with an ICO, and we took a lot of the guesswork out of it. That's great. So how does somebody, uh, who can participate, and how would they participate? Well, uh, if you go to uh, in, uh, interface.wenhub, uh, com or I think the wenhub.com has a has a link to it as well. Mm-hmm. You'll see uh, how to get in on the uh, the tokens, and of course there'll be links to just download the app, or you could go to the app store and uh, just get into it that way. And by the way, one of the things our app does, there's a wallet built into the app. So for the people who are just trying to figure out what all this crypto blockchain is all about, our app is an easy way to put a toe in because it'll give you a wallet with no effort. It's got a little tutorial built into the help, so you can see about how wallets work and how to move money. We'll, we'll be um, signed up for an exchange, we hope, in a few weeks. We're just waiting for an approval on that. And once the exchange is up, these WEN tokens will be convertible to other, uh, you know, other crypto and ultimately to cash. Right on. This is, this is exciting, man. I'm, it's been a great pleasure to, uh, to have an opportunity to chat with you. I think this is a, this is a great project. Um, so, so what, in your heyday, what, what Dilbert was like, what, in 70 countries published in 70 countries? That sounds about right. Uh, it's still the heyday. I mean, Dilbert is hard to believe, but it has done nothing but grow every year. Well, so it is, it is bigger now than it has ever been. Awesome. Well, but just so you know, bad crypto is listened to in 190 countries. So, <laughs> so suck it, Scott Adams. We got you. We got you beat there. Right? 120 countries, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, a hun- <laughs> but but 120 of them don't speak English. They're that's just true, like that's true. Wait, well, wait. there's one guy there. There's, there's, there's one person, you know, in, in uh, Syria, and they're like, "Wait, what's going on here? I'm listening to bad crypto. Stop with all the noise." Uh, Scott, thanks a lot for for joining us, uh, Dilbert dot com is uh, is the site where you can learn more and if you want to read uh, Scott's blog or hear his uh, his podcast the audio version those are all available there as well you are entering into political territory when you go there I have uh, one last question and, and it's kind of around that um, what was the the most controversial strip that you did that got you the most pushback <laughs> uh, let's see 
<laughs> There's so many. Uh, yeah. You, usually when I get pushback, it's not from the world at large. It, it's from some individual. A and, big colorful story. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of the, 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 oh my God. I'm trying to remember the word. God, I hate, hate when I have a mental block like this. But uh, I've used people's last name accidentally. And those those people go go a little bit nuts, especially if they have unusual last names. Uh, but usually, these individuals just just crazy. You, individuals. you didn't get a lot of flack from Anita Freeman. Uh, Anita, what is that? Anita, what, Anita, Anita Freeman. Yeah, Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> no, people like it when you make them into a cartoon character. Yeah, yeah. I want to be a cartoon. How do I? How do I become? How do Travis and I become the crypto um, nerds in a Dilbert? <laughs> Well, in the, in the Dilbert world, it helps to have unusual hair. All right, you, you both have good hair. That doesn't work for me. Oh, yeah. See, Travis covers his, though, all the time. There's actually... I'm always wearing a Royals hat, but I got a long extra flat. goatee here. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask, ask you this, then, though, because we, we're, we're, we're talking about that. Just on one final question. Because it seemed to be in the world that we used to be able to disagree with people agreeably, right? And now if you have a different opinion... You either get this screeching, re-screaming to the sky, or you get called literally Hitler. So, like, <laughs> when and how did civil discourse die, and how can we get it back? How can we ag- agree to disagree agreeably? It's all about that privacy problem. You know, in the old days before the Internet, if you were insulting somebody, they knew who you were and they knew where you lived. <laughs> <laughs> but today you can be semi-anonymous or completely anonymous on the internet and you could just tear somebody apart and it's just good for clicks. Yeah. So if you're a business, tearing somebody apart is just good for business, you know, because you can attract people who like that stuff. And if you're an individual, you can be as you know, much of an a-hole as you want because nobody can find you and there's no, no penalty for it. So it's one of the paradoxes of privacy that we think privacy is what we want. We're fighting for it. Ah, give me my privacy. Give me my privacy. But clearly the world would, well, this is my opinion, the world would be better off if we didn't have any of it. If everybody lost all of it all at once, we would have a utopian kind of a world because people wouldn't act the way you just mentioned. They would act like, oh, you know who I am. I'm going to act like you know who I am, which is I want you to like me, so I'm going to be nicer. Rodney King had it right. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Scott Adams. Thanks so much, Scott. We appreciate it. All right. Best thank of luck you. on winhub.com. All right. Thank you. What a great time, Travis. He's uh, really a really a neat guy. And, uh, you know, whatever you think of his politics, he's got a um, he's passionate about what he's doing. And it's so cool to see him putting crypto into the Dilbert comic strip. You know, it, it was very interesting chatting with him, not only just about, you know, what he's done in his career, but I wanted to take moments, you know, because having read some of his books, I mean, politics aside, the dude is super smart, right? And you may or may not agree with his politics. I don't think that necessarily matters on on this particular thing because the dude is so smart. He has written books that, you know, his process-oriented thinking versus goal-oriented thinking that is one of the value, most valuable life hacks ever. That that idea of skill stacking is is such a great idea, and I've taught that with to my children about building on your skills. That's one of the things that how I've been able to keep you know being relevant in this digital space, right? It's like 
I picked up a skill here. When I first started, I learned about SEO and how SEO was working. And then, and then paid search came along and I learned about paid search and how to manage that. And then, oh, AdSense was great. That was pretty fun to learn about. And then just like you just keep developing these new skill sets as the internet and the world evolves and you just keep layering on and leveling up. And I think that's, you know, one of the smartest approaches. So I really loved his, his thoughts on that. It's brick upon brick, you know, and I, and I can trace that in my career as well as we can trace it in yours. I'm coming up with a new uh, way of thinking, though. It's in the uh, acronym is BOT, and it's bacon-oriented thinking. I want to, I you know, position everything in terms of bacon. How much bacon do I get? Is it, you know, crispy? Is it juicy? Is it thick cut? Uh, you know, know, is there, I don't know. Pork is very offensive to some people. So you need to watch your P's and Q's and my porks and, and Mm -hmm. what, what's the Q part of that? I don't know. Um, don't know. I'm not a baconologist. I can't wait to see who we're going to interview next. And we're glad that you guys are here on the journey with us. Please go Mm -hmm. to the bad crypto mastermind, badco.in and find the post for this episode and share with us your thoughts, uh, especially if there was a quote, something that Scott said or something that either Travis or I said that you thought was particularly notable and quotable and, uh, and, and put that there in the comments comments, we might end up putting that on a meme that we then share across all our social platforms and give you credit. We'll put your name on the meme if you're the one who uh, who picked that out. Yeah. And, you know, if there's anybody that you would love to see us interview, you know, maybe make that introduction. You can send us an email from uh, badcryptopodcast.com. There's a contact form up there, or you can email us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. Maybe there's a podcast that you'd love to see us on, or there's a radio show or a TV show that you'd like to have us be on. We've we've actually started going on those types of shows and programs now, which is which is pretty fun. We we just spent an hour on a radio uh, show yesterday that has you know I don't I don't mean twenty five different states or something. I don't I don't remember exactly. But yeah, yeah. and, and uh, Travis was uh, um, on printed material. I saw at the post office there was a wanted poster. And mm-hmm. he's there. I think I'm going to be on a milk carton at some time, and maybe both of us on a Wheaties box. Mm-hmm. Won't it dead or alive? Thanks for listening, gang. We appreciate you. Until next time, please stay utterly, completely, totally, and with ran- rampant abandon bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.